So once again, my name is Chris, like I said before, and when I was a little boy, five, six, seven years old growing up, I loved hugs. I loved hugs. Hugs were how I learned you were supposed to show affection for other people. Uh, you hug your mom, you hug your dad, hug your little sister, you know, because you love her, and hug your uh, extended family members when they come into town, uh, and even my grandma and grandpa when they came in. My grandpa, not known for his displays of physical affection, a factory worker out of a rural town outside of Cedar Rapids called Shueyville, Iowa, 40-year factory worker. Something happened when he had grandkids, uh, which happens to a lot of really tough guys, which is that a softer side came out, and he had these things called growl hugs. And growl hugs were when I would run up to him, I call him Papa, and I jump, Papa, and he, uh, he scoops me up in his arms, and he goes, and I would giggle, and it was the best thing ever. I loved hugs. And it fit within the rest of my personality. I was a pretty excitable young uh, person. Uh, if one might say that is still true. Uh, I am an extrovert to the extreme. I uh, love to be around people. Uh, I started talking from an early age, and some say I have not stopped yet. Uh, and so uh, explains my career choice that I have here today. Uh, so for a kid like that, the best day ever finally came. You know what the best day ever for a kid like that is? The first day of first grade. I was excited because I was going to a new school. It was the school that my mom taught at uh, and still teaches at to this day, uh, good old Westridge Elementary. I was going into Miss Bowen's first grade class. And I went in, I was going to make all these new friends, and it was going to be so great. And it was. And I made a lot of really great new friends. I met a lot of cool new people, and we were... Uh, I just had a great time. I was a kid that loved school, and I loved my friends. And so uh, every day before I left, I made sure I gave my new best friends forever hugs before I left and uh, went on. And some of you know where this is going, and you're saying, this poor kid. I will never forget, a couple months into school, I went up to hug one of my best friends forever before I went home to eat pizza rolls and watch Cartoon Network or whatever it was I was going to do. And he pushed me away. And he said, dude, boys don't hug. Dude, boys don't hug. Which I will never forget the feeling of shame, the feeling of utter surprise. I had never heard this before. He had an older brother in high school, and his older brother had told him that boys don't hug. And I couldn't quite believe it. It's what, what had just happened to me was I started uh, the long line of process that go throughout our whole entire lives and that we're still learning today, which is when we learn these unwritten rules, these societal norms, these, these rules for us in how we're supposed to act towards certain people in different situations in our life. And as time went on, I learned a lot of other rules that didn't always quite make sense to me, but... Notice it stuck because after that day, I didn't hug my friends anymore. We started to learn rules as you go through school and as you grow up. You're supposed to act one way when you're around your friends and another way when you're around grown-ups. There's one way you're supposed to act around, you know, your squad, your best buds, and another way you learn several grades later how you're supposed to act around gasp girls. 
And as you continue to grow up, we learn more and more about these distinctions of this is who I am supposed to be in front of all of these different types of people. And regardless, you know, some of these norms might be different depending on if you grew up small town, big town, west coast, east coast. There are definitely some Midwestern things that, that go on with that. But regardless of where you grew up, and some of those norms might have been different, it was all presented with this same type of explanation of, well, that's just the way that things are here. And these are the rules that you have to follow. These are the ways that you have to be if you want to be accepted and loved into this society, into this culture, into this community. And into adulthood, we continue to learn these unwritten rules that decide how we live in the world. And at some point, we learn to make this crucial distinction in different areas of our life of who's in and who's out. Who's in my in crowd, who's in my out crowd, who's right, who's wrong, who's one of me, who's not. And this isn't just a grade school thing. This is through high school and college and eventually into the working world. We all know certain teams that we have at work. You know, those certain uh, water cooler uh, folks that, you know, you know they hang, outside of, uh, hang out outside of work. They kind of have their own rules. They play by different departments, what have you. And eventually, it is so much in our life that it starts to inform and speak to us in the most important way of all, which is the way that informs our faith and how that fits into the rest of these rules that we have to abide by in the rest of the world. You know, they, they set d- distinctions like this. This is how you act at home. This is how you act at church. This is where your faith belongs here in this nice building when they get a really awesome worship intern and she sings great songs and that's where faith, oh, I'm really feeling it. But then when you get to work, you know, this is who you are there. These are the things that are supposed to matter to you there. This is what we say matters to us that tells us who we are when we're in a small group or a prayer class or, a, or, or something like that here in this building or with friends from Hope. And then this over here is what actually gets to define me the rest of the week, especially when life is hard, whether that's expectations of others, whether that's my own insecurities. It starts to look really different. And these are more of these unwritten rules that if you want to be accepted, you can have your church thing, but don't let it get with the rest of everything else. But the thing that we have to realize is that life with Jesus doesn't have to be once a week or twice a week, even if you're going to multiple services. Don't miss the point. (laughs) The point I'd like to suggest to us this morning is that Jesus gave his life so that he could live our life with us. Jesus gave his life so that he could live our life with us. We're in the middle of this uh, series uh, called Year of the Bible. Uh, Hope is getting pretty ambitious, and we're like, we're going to do 12 books of the Bible in 12 months. And we started with the book of Acts. In case you weren't familiar, uh, in case you're new to church and this whole thing, which is totally cool, this thing is uh, not just one book, but it's like a whole bunch of them. And... uh, We're going to go through chunks of these throughout the year because they tell different stories about different people, but all telling the story of God and how he's interacting with the world. 
And so this month, we've been looking at the book of Acts, which is, in, which is an account of Jesus' disciples, these friends Jesus had, uh, after Jesus ascends into heaven. Uh, Pastor John made a really good point at the beginning of this series. This is called Acts, not A-X, but A-C-T-S. Acts of the Apostles is actually what it's short for. Some of your Bibles that you're reading might actually say that, Acts of the Apostles. But you might as well call it Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it's even more than just a story about all of these guys and these friends of Jesus, what they go on to do after he ascends back to heaven. It's as much a story about how God is intervening and interacting and pouring into the lives of these people, of these men and these women and these stories. Now, it follows the apostles of Jesus as they go out into the world to do exactly what he told them to do, which was make more disciples, which is just another way of saying, go make more people who want to love the world the way that I did. Go make more of that. Go share that love with others. And we've gone through kind of this book. A lot happens in the book of Acts. We talk about how they're filled with the Holy Spirit, which is sometimes kind of a hard thing to understand and seems like one of the spookier parts of Christianity. But when you think about it, um, in the Old Testament, the first big chunk of the Bible, um, they have God the Father who comes in and bails them out in incredible ways when they mess it up, which is basically most of the Bible. And then they have God the Son which is Jesus, God puts on skin and bone to show us how to live in the world and then dies, defeats death, and comes back. That's God the Son. Acts, they still have both of those gods, but they, uh, both of those uh, ways of understanding God, I should say. But then they now have this new way of understanding God. It's the Spirit of God that is with them, that dwells in them and in their lives to do incredible things. It's a God that is always with them no matter what. And that same God that is enabling them to do incredible things is the same God, that same spirit that lives in each one of us and in our own lives. The Holy Spirit. And so we've talked about that Holy Spirit. We talked about how baptism, uh, we've gone through about how uh, baptism is a great tradition in which we get to understand this specific Uh, idea and how baptism is an old tradition that Jesus himself uh, took part in to connect us to God and the Holy Spirit. We even had spontaneous baptisms. People didn't know they were getting baptized, but a couple we we had kind of an all call a couple weeks ago and almost 70 people uh, came to get baptized and uh, engage in that same tradition that Jesus did. And so it's a lot goes on, but Acts, as we kind of tie a bow on it tonight, or or this morning, we are kind of uh, bringing this plane home, if you were, for the book of Acts, getting ready to go on to the next book, which I'll let John talk about next week. Acts, if we were to summarize it all together, Acts is a radical reorienting of the priorities of our life. Acts is a radical reorienting of the priorities of our life. Because essentially, Acts is a book about the disciples showing us what it looks like to live a life with God. Because essentially, the disciples could have gone back to doing whatever they did before, right? Oh, Jesus is gone now. I mean, he's with me, but like he, he's gone. What do I do now? They didn't just go back to the synagogue and go back to their worship day and do all these other things. The most powerful parts of the books of Acts are where they're together, 
sharing things that they have with each other. They're praying for people. They're going out into their communities to love people the best way that they can and demonstrate the way that Jesus showed them to do it. Acts is about what it's like to live your faith the whole week through to live a full life with Jesus. So we're going to look at these words themselves. You might notice that John and I have kind of been like, hey, take out your Bibles, like, take out, like look at your Bibles. Um, the reason we're doing that is not because we're trying to be very ultra-spiritual and everybody should have their Bible in front of them, but um, the, some of the texts are just honestly pretty long in uh, the, the uh, different scripture verses that we're doing in this series. And guess what? This is the year of the Bible. We got like a whole year to do this thing. So if you have been like eyeing that like study Bible at Barnes and Noble or something, just like waiting to pull the trigger, now is the time. This is the year of the Bible. So uh, like, I always, like we always say, there are Bibles in the back uh, right by the tech booth right back there where Ed's sitting. Uh, and feel free to grab one of those. Take it with you. It's free. They're great Bibles. Um, I use it myself. We'll be using it today. And uh, they're a great translation. Another reason to get this page in front of you, my friend Jamie, who runs uh, Revive out in West Des Moines, she said, if you have a text out in front of you and it's being preached over you and you're engaging with it, but you're also seeing the words, your brain is literally making different connections than it would if you were just listening to it. It's like a learning technique. All the teachers in the room say amen. Okay. So... All right, so um, you can find it on your, on your phone. Uh, there are a lot of great apps. I have suggestions. We can talk about that later. But if you can, uh, find, get a hold some way of Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, and we're going to start on verse 4. So each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, they were Paul's homies, Paul spent all his time preaching the word because Silas and Timothy were taking care of the rest of everything else. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah, this character that they were waiting for. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I'll go preach to the Gentiles. Then he left and went to the home of Titius Eustace. If anybody's getting ready to have a kid, that name should go to the top of your list. <laughs> went to the home of Titius Eustace, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. If that sounds familiar, Corinth... They're the Corinthians. That's who he writes the letter to later. This is the beginning of that context learning. Verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, speak out and don't be silent for I am with you and no one will attack and harm you for many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. There are a couple of things that I want to make sure that we, that we notice in these words. There's two groups of people here. We have the Jews and we have the Gentiles also referenced in this verse as Greeks. So the Jews were ethnically and religiously identified as the people of God. Most of the whole rest of the Bible, they're following this specific group of people, the Jews, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, that's all one group. And they're, it's following them as they're trying to do things right and often messing it up, and God bails them out. Jesus himself was a part of this group. 
this was always supposed to be for them. And they knew this Messiah character was coming, so that's why Paul was trying to convince them that this is who Jesus was, because they had context for him. But they were so caught up in the way that things are supposed to be. They were so caught up in the the rules, the regulations, their own understanding, them being accepted in their community over hearing the truth of what's actually there, that it didn't quite work out. And so Paul, Paul says, I'm going to go talk to the Gentiles, and he probably got laughed at, in all honesty, because guess what? They're Gentiles, who cares? They were like, that, this isn't for them anyway. But the important thing that I want to make sure that you notice, there on Acts chapter 18, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived, don't miss this, next door to the synagogue. This is God having a sense of humor. He had to walk outside of the place of worship, the holy place, next door to a Gentile, Titus Eustace. It was never supposed to be for him, but he believed. It wasn't until he left the holiest place, the place where church was supposed to live, that he found life with people who were believing. Paul had to go outside the walls of the synagogue to connect with the most people. That's when that city became alive. Not when they just did their, their synagogue church thing once a week. It's when he went outside the walls to truly show people the love of Christ that the church of the Corinthians, one of the old school, like all-time churches, was able to be formed. He had to go talk to people who didn't know all of the religious language. The people at the time in that place, the Jews, were caught up in religious terminology and rules, the societal rules of that's just not how we do things. Their version of boys don't hug. Their version of, listen, you don't tell your coworkers you go to church. Their version of, you don't pray for people who don't. I mean, they're not like one of my hope friends, so like they don't, you know, it's not just... You know, we don't get too emotional in church. I don't let people see me. You know, that's just, that's just not how we do things. Those are the barriers that we've accepted as a part of who we are here to be, try to be successful and accepted and loved. But it was keeping them from the truth of Jesus. But it's when Paul steps out and brings the love of Christ and all the love of God right next door to the people who were out. These people, by all intents and purposes, this wasn't for them. But through Jesus, it was. They were the outside of in. And notice what God says. I have it there on the bottom. God says, basically, don't be afraid. I've got a lot of people in this city. What he doesn't say And it's important what he's saying. You're like, of course you got a lot of people in your city. You're God. You made everybody. The point is, he said, I got a lot of people in this city. It's after he left the synagogue. What they were expecting God to say was, yeah, I've got my people there, my chosen people there in the synagogue. But that's not what he said. He said, I've got people all throughout this city. Even though others might not be able to see it. It's basically him saying, I've got my chosen people Throughout this entire city, I'm already working in lives outside us here. Jesus gave his life so that he could live our life, our whole life, with us. 
There's a C.S. Lewis quote. You know C.S. Lewis, Lion, Witch, Wardrobe? Um, he, we actually read him in seminary because he's this great theological thinker on top of being a, a really good children's fantasy writer. And my favorite quote from C.S. Lewis is this one. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Basically what he's saying is faith isn't something that we see somewhere else in the world. Faith isn't just another time on our calendar. It's not just another checklist. It's not just, well, I better read my Bible today or else I'll feel guilty about it later. It's not just another part of it. Faith is instead the light that allows us to see everything else. Our faith is the thing that allows us, it's the lens that allows us to see the world, our entire lives, for the way that it really is. It's not just another thing in your week. It's the thing that informs your entire life in all situations. Where in your life can you let Jesus speak fresh life into your circumstance this week? It's my question. Where in your life can you let Jesus spark and speak fresh life for you? Where might the Bible have some insight for that conflict that you have at work? What might prayer do for that friend that's really struggling? What might an invitation to ride along for church, what might that invitation do to that neighbor who never has anybody to visit? Or that new family that you don't know if any of your neighbors because it's 2019 and nobody like, has really met their neighbors a whole lot. I'm guilty of that too. I'm like, oh, they have three dogs now. Um, <laughs> What might that invitation and just say, hey, we go to church. Would you like to come? I know you're new. It's that, it's that church just on Ingersoll. What might that do to somebody to help them feel included and loved? The question is, what does it look like for you this week to have Jesus live your life with you? So John is a dad, and John, uh, John preaches about John's kids. I am not a dad yet, so I will also preach about John's kids. <laughs> so it's Thursday, and everybody's, you know, uh, it's, it's a busy day because, you know, when snow gets canceled in any business, any organization, um, things, everybody feels just a little bit behind, so we're trying to get things done, and so I come down uh, to get some water, feeling parched, you know, hydration is important, and I come down, and what you didn't know is that you are sitting inside of what is called by many preschoolers throughout the week, the gym, because we clear out the tables, or clear out the chairs, and uh, they, they have toys and different things in here, and so I walk down here, and there's a little uh, nylon a house thing that you can unfold and play in and something a three-year-old fits in. And it has no top, like its top has gone somewhere, like its roof and its little entryway covering is gone. And I walk in and up walks Everly Annenson, uh John and Tiffany's three-year-old. She's the cutest thing ever. She's blonde, always has a look of vague concern on her face. If you, 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 you know her. Um, Evie and I have had an up-and-down relationship. She wasn't quite sure about the beard at first. But today she runs up to me and she says, Quas, the house knows no top and no door. And I said, 
Evie, there's no top and no door. What are we going to do about it? She says, we're going to find it. And so I'm like, we're going to find it. And so we run in and we start to, she's like, she's like, let's go. And she like jumps on a tricycle and rides it around. And so I was like, let's do this. And so I jump on a tricycle and ride it around. And it's very small. And then all of a sudden there's this huge crack. And this is getting podcasted. It wasn't broken. Preschool listens. And... <laughs> And she looks back at me, she goes, she grabs another one, she goes, maybe you wide this one. And we rode around, we made snowmen out of, an imaginary snowman out of hula hoops on the ground, you know, um, a pink one and a white one. Uh, hers have feet. What do snowman feet look like? I don't know. But had a great time, uh, jumped around and, and played games, and it was just like, just like a three-year-old being a three-year-old. Um, and eventually she, she looks, she goes, I want to play church. It's time to play church. And I was like, oh, okay, pastor's kid. <laughs> and so we, there were still like a couple rows up here for some stuff that we had going on. And so she comes and she says, I have to get the book. And she runs back and she gets the Bibles because she knows where the Bibles are back there. And she comes up, she says, Quest, you moved a chair. And so I moved the chair and I set it up and she puts it down. She goes, worship first. And I was like, okay, we're doing worship first. And she goes, you sit there. And I, and I, and I, she's like, stand up because we're doing worship. And so I was like, okay. And she sang a great rendition of, uh, your love awakens me. Uh, you know, the lyrics, your love is Guido and it's Duongo. Uh, and it was with all the heart in the world. And I started to dance and she stopped and said, there's no dancing in worship. Uh, I was like, all right. She says, you have to put your hand. I was like, okay. We're good. And um, then she says, uh, it's time for the sermon. It's time for the sermon. She opens the Bible. She says, sit down. <laughs> and so I did. And she says, not there. And so I scooted over one. She says, not there. Scooted over one other one. That was my spot. If ever Lee Anderson is ever the lead pastor of Hope Des Moines, we're all getting assigned seating. <laughs> And I always wondered what it was like. I always wondered what it was like when John like, has these moments with his kids and he's like, this is going to make a sermon. And in this moment, I was like, it's happening. <laughs> she goes, time for the sermon. She opens the Bible, looks down on it as if she's reading. She kind of closes her eyes. And I'll never forget what she said. This was Everly Anderson, three-year-old's sermon. God is good. God loves you. God's always with you. Man. God loves you. Or God is good. God loves you. God is always with you. Because faith can be that simple. It can be. That's what can motivate the rest of our lives. Jesus is good. Jesus loves you. And Jesus is always with you. And what if taking our faith into the rest of the world didn't have to look like we had to get all the words right. It didn't look like we had to worry about how that was going to make us seem. We were just motivated by this idea. These three simple truths that was shared to us by a three-year-old. We're often worried about crossing these imaginary boundaries of societally unspoken rules where I've relegated my faith to one day of the week. You know, what if I do something wrong or anything like that? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I'm seen for who I really am? 
What if, instead of getting hung up on the specifics of following every rule to the T, we lived like those things are true? What if we believed that God is good so I don't have to worry about that gripe or that discomfort that I'm not going to remember tomorrow anyway? I get to let it go a little bit earlier. What if I believe that God loves me so I'll spend time reading God's word and believing that it's going to speak to something in my life? Because, spoiler alert, it does. It always does. What if I believe that God is always with me so I'll actually spend time talking to him? Because prayer matters. And it had to come from a three-year-old because she hasn't learned the rules yet. She hasn't had it ruined for her that boys don't hug or whatever her version of that is going to be. She hasn't been told that these are how you're supposed to act around some people and this is the way you're supposed to behave around others and make sure you don't show them who you are. She hasn't learned any of that. The only thing that she knows is that she worships a God that loves her, loves everyone, and will always be with her. So my challenge to us this week is let's live like that. What would it look like? Even just one step towards living your full life with Jesus because Jesus gave his life so that he could live ours with us. Amen. Worship is something that we get to do that orients us back towards that. So as we sing this final song, it's an awesome uh, last song. Jed's going to teach it to you. Um, Look at this as an opportunity to set your heart in this way for this week. Say, God, I'm going to do this whole thing, all of it with you this week. I'm inviting you into that because we trust you, God, that you'll do the good things that only you can do. Let's stand and sing together.